Hello and welcome to Tinker Talks, the audio format podcast that talks about everything behind the fence of Tinker Air Force Base. I'm 2nd Lieutenant Lajinska Bilajama. And I'm Paul Shirk. And we are your hosts for this episode. Today we are joined by Colonel Louis Rochetta, the B-52 Senior Materiel Leader with the Air Force Life Cycle Management Center's Bomber Directorate. Thank you for joining me today. Could you briefly tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Lajinska and Paul. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. So, uh, again, so Colonel Lou Rosetta, I'm from uh, Tampa, Florida. It was where I grew up, uh, part of an Air Force family. Uh, Dad is a retired Chief Master Sergeant. I graduated from the Academy back in 98. Uh, you know, I did a brief stint in the Space and Missile Career Field before I went into acquisitions. And then uh, as an acquisition officer, I've been lucky enough to see a wide range of uh, capabilities uh, and, and to run different programs between space, weapons, command and control, uh, and then aircraft, as well as SOCOM. And now being the senior material leader for the buff is a pretty uh, awesome experience. So, and in my role as a senior material leader for the buff, so I oversee a program office of about 400 military, civilian, and government contractors uh, who keep this weapon system safe, affordable, and effective. And probably talk a little bit about that more later. But uh, in doing so, we manage, you know, system level activities for development, procurement, and sustainment activities within the B-52. So, for example, like within our, what that means in our sustainment activities, while the SPO, we define and oversee the enterprise activities working with all of our stakeholders, uh, including the depot, supply chain, operational units, um, and industry. So, you know, if the supply chain is there, they're managing a specific part and they will make sure that part is available. They might manage the configuration control of that part. We will look at that part and let's say with, it's within the landing gear, we will manage the landing gear system and that we will understand how all of those parts together fit within that landing gear system. And then we'll manage the system of systems and how does that landing gear system fit, as, you know, like in this case in a sustainment uh, standpoint within the overall aircraft uh, B-52 to understand how that uh, impacts aircraft availability of the B-52 uh, so we can prioritize and address our sustainment needs. And then within the development side, um, development and acquisition side, we look at how we are uh, understanding what are the combat capabilities needed uh, as we look from within our partners from Global Strike, for example, and the users, understand what that combat capability is required, and then we go and work with industry define a material solution that meets that combat capability, and then we work the development, the testing, the integration into the overall platform, and then eventually the procurement fielding, and then as everything cycles, gets back into the sustainment area where we look at how do we make sure we are keeping it up, uh, upgrading it, you know, m making sure it, it still meets that uh, capability moving forward. Wow, that is a lot of components. Um, for our listeners that don't know, the Buff is a nickname for the B-52 Stratofortress. It is an American long-range strategic bomber that has been in service for almost as long as the Air Force. Um, on April 15, 1952, the prototype first took flight, making this week the 70th anniversary of the B-52's first flight. So you really can't imagine the Air Force without the B-52 because... Air Force 75, B-52, 70, I mean, they're hand in hand. Exactly. So it's been around for a long time with lots of rich history. I'm sure many are wondering, um, how is it still fulfilling its mission? Uh, it's, it's an, I mean, first of all, it's an amazing aircraft. 
it, so, you know, I, I, I love the history of the aircraft uh, originally when it was designed. So Boeing engineers designed this as a four propeller aircraft. Uh, and when they met with some of the uh, leadership in, in Dayton, Ohio, the Air Force leadership back then, it just did not meet the requirement. Again, if you look at the time frame, this was getting during the Cold War, uh, right after World War II. What 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 do we need? And you know, uh, gearing up for uh, our adversaries, right? You know, uh, Soviet Union, uh, that type of thing. So uh, they needed much more long range, much higher altitude. So over the weekend, Boeing engineers went back to their hotel, still working in Dayton, Ohio, phoning back to the you know the mother office back in Seattle, Washington and develop what is now we have this eight engine uh, aircraft uh, that we call the B-52. So it's, uh, folks have called it over designed, you know, that helps with the longevity. I, I will tell you what, uh, however that design was, you know, it I was designed perfectly uh, for what we need because it's been a very versatile platform. So as I talked about earlier, right, it was designed for the Cold War, you know, as both a conventional and nuclear deterrent uh, to our adversaries during that time. But since its first flight in 1952, uh, not only has it been a nuclear deterrent, but it served as a test bed for the Air Force. It served as a test bed for NASA, you know, firing off uh, hypersonic rockets and hypersonic aircraft, uh, actually, uh, off of its wing back in, you know, uh, the early days of the platform. Uh, in Vietnam, it was the backbone of some of our major strategic bombing operations. Think linebacker one, linebacker two. Uh, literally being the reason why countries came to the negotiating table with the United States, right? So, uh, again, getting into that versatility. Uh, it served in the Persian Gulf and our global war on terrorism uh, efforts. So being, and, you know, being called to protect, even lately, uh, very recently, right, when the U.S. and NATO retrograded out of Afghanistan, uh, it stood overwatch protecting uh, our troops uh, during those missions as well. So yeah, very versatile from both the conventional and nuclear missions. Uh, and now it's still a sign of force and caution to our adversaries across the globe, right? So it's a quick reminder, not only that the power that the Air Force projects, but also the short response time it takes for us to project that power globally. Wow. Um, you Mention all this history, so and the LCMC being focused on sustainment of the aircraft. Uh, recently, there's been a lot of press about Damage Inc. 2 leaving the boneyard to serve as an integration model to test how well new technologies and current future modifications will integrate with the B 52 aircraft. Can you tell us about the modernization efforts you're running? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the B 52 has actually entered into a unique stage because right now we are undergoing the biggest modernization effort in the history of the B-52. So uh, in, in the past, we've had much more sustainment funding than we've had development funding. But right now, our investment portfolio uh, is for the FY22 budget is right at about $700 million just for this annual, just for this year alone, with our sustainment budget being about $500 million. So we can see the shift in our portfolio to the investment side, which is uh, reflects the importance of the modernization efforts going on. So we're posturing this weapon system to make sure it can operate within the environments, you know, against peer competitors. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean we're going to see a stealth B-52, you know, that, let's not get me wrong there. But what we will see is a B-52 that will be able to complement the B-21 
as it uh, we perform the com- uh, the missions the combatant commanders need us to perform uh, against peer adversaries. So one of the programs, for example, uh, is our radar modernization program. That's where we're upgrading the current 1960s core radar to uh, an active electronically scanned array radar, very, one very similar than what one of the versions of the F-18 uses right now. So, I, you know, almost like that fighter-type quality radar uh, capability within the B-52 that's going to be used to really uh, increase and upgrade that quality uh, target quality track that we get that, that the crew needs so much to prosecute its missions. Uh, so th- that is one of those just amazing capabilities uh, that is really important going on to the modernization of the B-52. That team, uh, just this past year, entered into its development phase, passed our milestone B uh, through the approvals, and actually just last month finished its uh, critical design review uh, step. And now they're going into more into getting ready for the software quals and uh, uh, test activities as we move forward. Uh, another upgrade area that we that is uh, uh, got a lot of attention is our communication suite. So within the B-52, we're adding a tactical data link capability at Link-16. We're actually the last aircraft in the CAF to get Link-16. Along with the radar, we're also upgrading our communication suite. So B-52 is adding a tactical data link capability to Link-16. Uh, we're actually the last combat aircraft to get a Link-16 type capability. Uh, we are also upgrading our secure beyond line of sight comms. Uh, and then we also have two efforts uh, within our nuclear comms programs uh, to upgrade our uh, VLF-LF system and then our AEHF advanced extreme high frequency uh, communications capability that's used to receive and report emergency action, emergency action messages. So very critical comm suite upgrade that's going along right now uh, simultaneously. Um, also, we're in early stages of converting the crew. From We're, we're currently at a five-man crew inside, uh, or five-person crew inside the uh, B-52. We're converting that to a four-person crew. This will move the electronic warfare capabilities uh, to the navigator position so we actually can eliminate one of the crew members. So reducing manpower requirements for global strike uh, without reducing any of the capabilities of the B-52 as we move forward, uh, using some automation type of uh, capability in there as well. So that's a big step forward as we look as global strike and the Air Force postures to a new force structure. How do we utilize and, and you know get more efficient, uh, more efficient crews and manpower moving forward? This quad crew concept is, uh, is really important in the uh, future of the B-52. And then, you know, uh, one of the big ones that we, oh, it's constantly in the news is our commercial engine replacement program, uh, commonly known as SERP. That's where we're replacing our TF-33 uh, Pratt & Whitney, our old TF-33 Pratt & Whitney engines uh, with the F-130 Rolls-Royce engines. So, um, but it's really much more than an engine replacement program. That's maybe about 25% of the effort. Uh, we're actually upgrading the entire cockpit has to get upgraded to interface and interact with the new engines uh you know our infrastructure within the aircraft you know how the fuel system our engine uh our power generator power generation system uh that gets upgraded as well to to meet the new f-130 uh interact with the f-130 engines uh our engine power management how we control the engines inside the cockpit uh, all of that has to get uh upgraded 
and and addressed in order to get to our uh, new commercial engine replacement program. And that's pretty key in getting us out to 2050, being with the uh, uh, our engines is one of the most critical uh, aircraft availability drivers right now. Now you, um, it's not just new engines replacing directly the TF33. It's actually making the engines that are like compatible with the airframe. And then you also have improvements like the efficiencies. Would that increase like the range or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, we scoped this program to also make sure this wasn't a 20-year development effort and, and, uh, and, and wanted to make sure we can get this on as quick as possible. So we did scope this program on the engines to, to fit within the current flight profile of the TF-33. So we didn't want to change... Uh, really too much on the performance side and it's not like we're trying to make this go you know Mach 1 or I'm sorry Mach 5 or anything like that but you know the TF33s are 60 year old engines you know we these uh, Rolls-Royce much you know much newer uh, technology has grown since then so uh, the fuel efficiency is much better uh, our with that fuel efficiency comes uh, increased range that we will get that increased range also has bigger benefits outside of just the B-52. Less tank, More time on station? More time on station, less tanker requirements. So quite a bit of combat capability that not only do you bring to the B-52 itself, but also to you know the Joint Force Commander, Air Component Commander, because now that individual has more flexibility uh, and really uh, within its resources because I don't have the the same dedicated requirement need as I did put in the, uh, w- with the old TF-33s. Um, so is the commercial engine replacement program or SERP just one part of this overall initiative ongoing with damaging too? It is just one part of it. It, it was the genesis of it for sure. Uh, but there are a lot of opportunities. So, you know, at, uh, what damaging too, it, it gives us the opportunity to, uh, iterate early for some of the efforts we're doing on SERP. So we can obviously, what, what we're going to do is, you know, we using digital engineering, we can start looking at how some of these fit within the digital space. So uh, using this within the digital space, make iterations early on, and then this will be our first chance to do things also within the physical space, rather than the first time we put an engine on an aircraft is with the test aircraft we can actually put an engine on an aircraft here uh, at our Boeing facility on damaging too as a test bed, as a fit check. So you will just to validate what we've done on the digital engineering space. So, you know, a lot of the modernization efforts we're doing as we take into digital, enge- as we take digital engineering, model-based systems engineering uh, type of activities into account really changes the, our um, approach in what we've done in the past from an acquisition standpoint. And it's not just changing the way the Air Force is doing. It's really, you know, modernizing how some of our industry partners are approaching development activities as well. So while this has been used, digital engineering has been used in the commercial world, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, race car world is known for it. Many different uh, uh, places are, are used as benchmarks for digital engineering and model-based systems engineering. Within the DOD, it's something that's still fairly new, and we're still, you know, wrapping our arms on how to make sure we can use this effectively and efficiently. So 
this is one place where we can, uh, Damaging 2 offers that ability to start bringing in some of those digital engineering aspects. It also gives us the ability not just for SERP, but as we look for new in initiatives and innovative efforts. So um, gives us another platform that we can bring industry in to do you know, fit checks so, so they can come and see an aircraft, see what it takes to uh, what type of logical, electrical, mechanical type interfaces that they need on whatever system that they are developing and, and trying to uh, um, uh, trying to show us brings combat capability. Rather than in the past with only 76 aircraft, if I wanted to take that opportunity, we had to set a jet down, uh, take it out of the flying schedule, things like that. Now we have it here uh, in OKC rather than just at Minot, Edwards, or uh, Barksdale, so I don't have to impact operations uh, at all. So a huge lift for us uh, from the development side in that uh, we don't have to use operational aircraft and then also uh, giving us that chance to early iteration in the design and development process so we can actually uh, really identify and tackle problems earlier than what we would have found normally in a, an older way of doing business. And sir, earlier you were mentioning that it, it takes a village, and I, I think that kind of applies here because you've got Boeing, they, outside the gate, just built a brand new building just for damaging too, um, and you have the different facilities around the country. So what, what is Tinker's part in the actual upgrades when all the design work is finished? Yeah, right now our plan is so, uh, especially for the big modernization efforts, uh, the first two test jets will be done off station, will be done by Boeing. Uh, to make sure we understand what that workload is to do the integration. You know, the the depot is a machine. We don't want to impact the machine with unknowns and, you know, kit proofing and, and trying something in for the first time. But once we have that down, our, our plan is to utilize the depot as our install uh, center. So a, as an aircraft comes in already on its timeline for depot, you know, that aircraft gets turned down already and then utilize that as an opportunity to inject the installs in huge workload again for the uh, uh for the alc and for tinker as as a whole uh so we expect this to be uh, a really important hub for our modernization efforts it really sounds like this program is encompassing general brown's accelerate change or lose um in so many different facets as well uh, you mentioned Rolls-Royce, and, well, the B-52 is Boeing. So how important is the partnership with Boeing on this long-term initiative? Boeing is an amazing partner. Uh, we can't move forward without them. And uh, the B-52 has been a, uh important part of what they're doing here. And, you know, they're based out of uh, the Boeing organization that works B-52 is actually based right outside the gate here in uh uh, Oklahoma City, so right out, right outside the back gate. So uh, it, it's an amazing partnership, and we can't succeed without them succeeding. And that's the, you know, the interesting part in in program management is I I am I I incentivize my folks, and I and I try to incentivize Boeing to succeed because if Boeing succeeds, then we succeed as as a program office, we succeed as an air force. So uh, they've been the or, or original uh, engineering manufacturer since you know, the beginning of the, of, of, of the B-52. They were the original designers. Uh, as we've moved forward over the, you know, uh, the, the past 70 plus years, uh, you know, of the B-52 design, uh, it, you know, 
obviously things have developed. Not everything is completely Boeing on the aircraft, but we still uh, partner with Boeing on the integration because, you know, from that platform standpoint, uh, while there are a few capabilities that uh, don't need to be integrated, you know, into the mission computer or things like that, they can be federated systems. Uh, as we understand the sustainment, the stresses, you know, the, the bones of the aircraft, what the aircraft can do, what, what are some of those sustainment activities, we do, you know, uh, really partner with Boeing on that. So uh, I, I can't stress enough the, the partnership Boeing has and the expertise they have, right, is, you know, we look where, where government and industry is now compared to where government and industry was before when it comes to developing capabilities, uh, industry by far has much more innovation than the military does and than the government does. And that's almost flip-flopped from 40, 50 years ago. So, you know, we really rely on not just Boeing, but our, our entire industry partners, because uh, there's quite a few of them out there uh, to support the B-52 and move us forward. You know, we, you talk about General Brown's Accelerate, Change, or Lose. Uh, we really stress within the B-52 to initiate, innovate, and improve, right? The first thing we need to get going is we got to get going. We got to move. Do something. Then, okay, if we need to do something, we probably need to do it a different way because, you know, we need to make sure we are matching the speed of our adversaries as we are putting capabilities on. And finally, we, we want to make sure whatever we do is better than what we had before, right? So uh, th that is a theme within the SPO and within the organization that we strive for that we're also pushing with Boeing as well. And I, I can see that working along in the entire B-52 enterprise as we've moved forward these last couple of years. So I imagine this is a very costly initiative. Have we found that it's actually more of a cost benefit to the Air Force to continue to sustain and modernize the buff as opposed to replacing the entire airframe? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, part of the acquisition process, we do business case analysis. There's quite a bit of um, material solutions that we look at and uh, uh, analysis of alternatives to make sure the Air Force is going down the right direction and the services are going down the right direction when we pick a material solution. So, you know, we look across the entire range of dot mil PF uh, during that acquisition process to undersure, uh, make sure that uh, this is the solution that is needed to meet the requirements. So when you look at the B-52 and, and really when you look at the bomber fleet we have as a whole, as well as the future of the bomber fleet, which includes the B-21, uh, small numbers, old uh, aging platforms. So the B-52, while it's, you know, it's definitely at 70 years old, it's the oldest platform out there, but the B-1 and the B-2 are not spring chickens either. So uh, what we have seen is the best partner, what the Air Force is looking at as the best partnership with the B-21 uh, is this modernized B-52. And when you look across the whole, uh, what we're doing across 76 aircraft, and these is, again, biggest modernization effort in the history of its, uh, in the history of the platform across the entire uh, fleet of 76. Um, it's less than $200 million a piece to upgrade the B-52. And that's development and production costs. So that, that is a full range of investment costs altogether. Uh, where most aircraft nowadays to buy a new aircraft, just on the procurement side alone, costs somewhere, you know, over $100 million dollars $150 million uh, normally, and that's not including the recurring engineering and, and development costs that uh, come on top of that. So, uh, 
we are getting a new, the Air Force is getting a new bomber on the cheap when we look at what we can use the B-52. I don't consider the B-52 an aging platform. I, I don't consider it uh, an old platform. Uh, it, it's got some older bones. There's no doubt about it, right? You, we can't, every aircraft out there uh, that we have in the fleet now, you know, we're, we're built in either 1960 or 1961. But this is going to be a brand new buff when all these modernizations are, are being fielded and an exciting new capability for Global Strike. What does this upgrade mean to the local Tinker community? So Tinker is really, and, and the, the Tinker community is really the center of excellence for B-52 sustainment and modernization. Uh, when you when you look at what the importance Tinker plays in the B-52, the, the, the depot is here. So every aircraft comes through Tinker Air Force Base every four years and gets completely stripped down uh, to go through the depot and then built back up. Uh, there's no other workforce in the world that knows the B-52 as well as the depot workforce here. Uh, and then we are looking, as we look into the modernization, how do we take advantage of that? So we have a pretty small fleet, 76 aircraft across the, uh, across the entire Air Force. So and at any one time, we've got about 12 to 13 aircraft here at Tinker, you know, wait, going through or waiting to go through depot. So uh, we really track our aircraft availability that's, you know, to make sure that Global Strike has the aircraft available to do its mission uh, very closely. And so as we look to modernize the fleet, we need to make sure we are accounting for that. So that's where Tinker comes in uh, to play and utilizing the depot as much as possible. So if I've already got an aircraft stripped, I bring it in stripped down uh, to build it back up. We're working and partnering with AFSC and with the, uh, with the complex here to uh, take advantage of some of that sunk cost when we use it in sustainment. And then how do we use uh, partner our installs along with that depot activity? That's a huge increase in workload. Uh, th that will uh, most likely be an increase in facility requirements that we're looking at now here at Tinker. Uh, that's going to play a key role in the, you know, the future of Global Strike, so in the future of the Air Force's bomber, uh, bomber fleet. So uh, you know, the partnership with AFSC, not just on the depot, the supply chain and what we're going to the, – the impact that these modernizations will have – uh, we are also doing a lot of what I call modernization through sustainment. So while I, we talked about some of those big modernization efforts, we have smaller modernization efforts that we are working on that we rely on the supply chain management wing uh, here at Tinker and at other uh, AFSC bases to help us out with new, uh, new systems, new items that you know are no longer 60 years old instead of being built in the 1960s are not being built in you know, 2020, 2022, that just by definition have new capability, have, have new um, things that can be brought to the B-52 and really modernize that capability across the platform using sustainment activities, not necessarily using the investment activities. So when you look at the partnership that uh, we need from ALC, uh, fr from really Tinker as a whole in that modernization process, because uh, especially as we look at the aircraft availability and making sure we've got enough, we keep enough planes out in the field to meet operational requirements. Uh, we've got to really rely on what's coming through the depot here uh, to be our uh, mainstream for the modernization installs. 
sounds like a lot of opportunities in different areas. Absolutely. Um, what does it mean to you to have been involved in this initiative? So the, the, the B-52, and it's not really, I would say it's not the initiative. It's being involved, involved with this platform. So, you know, as you said earlier, right, this platform has been around since 1952. April 15th, 1952 will be the 70th anniversary of its first flight. Uh, it has a storied history through the multiple campaigns that it has participated in, uh, you know, for the, the national defense of the United States and to meet our military objectives, uh, for the research that it has participated in with NASA and hypersonics, and we're still doing hypersonics work now. Uh, it, it's pretty cool when you look at, um, I've got members in the SPO that, you know, flew in linebacker two. I've got members in the SPO that flew in, uh, you know, in the Gulf War, uh, that flew the B-52 for many other missions. Uh, and they want to come back here because they want to be part of the platform. You literally have multiple generations. I've heard of stories where the son or even the grandson of an original pilot is flying that aircraft. Absolutely. And is, even here sustaining it. Yeah. Th this is a, uh, a platform that it really is a family uh, in all sense of the word, not just how close we are, but because of the generational impact that is that it has had. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, especially in the military, right? Leader, commanders and leaders come and go. We, we come every three, four years in the acquisition, you know, two, three, four years. Uh, and everyone brings its own, uh, his or her own unique uh, aspect to, a, to an organization. But none of that can compare to what the actual platform brings to the organization and the meaning uh, th that it brings. So we, we don't do this for ourselves. Uh, you know, we do this for the folks that are flying, uh, flying the aircraft that are the crews that are flying it, the, the folks that are maintaining it, uh, just for what the B-52 means to people. It was awesome as damaging too was coming from Arizona, traveling out here to tinker, you know, big social media following, uh, the, what it meant to people just driving by as they see, uh, an aircraft that, you know, r retirees who said, wow, I worked on that plane, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, stopping, talking with the, the truck driver, making sure they took pictures with it, uh, bringing their, you know, going home, bringing their grandson and bringing them back to the plane because they were right next to where it stopped for the night so they can share that with their family. Um, I don't think any individual can bring that. That's something that is... You know, and, and that's what's unique about the Air Force is that's the history of the Air Force. That's the history of our mission. And that's what gets uh, that, that's what makes what we do as a profession special. And it doesn't mean, you know, people wearing the wearing the uniform because we've got, you know, like I said, we've got military civilian contractors. I've got, you know, I, I like to say I, I don't do much. I, I've got 400 people in the program office that really they deserve all the glory because they do all the work. We've got a number of folks uh, in the program and, and, you know, Boeing, Oklahoma city and Boeing, Seattle, Boeing, St. Louis that are doing just as much work for the platform as we are. So I, you know, people say, talk about supporting the warfighter. Uh, you know, a lot of acquisition folks have been deployed. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time deployed, you know, how do we define a warfighter? A warfighter is somebody who supports a war effort. And, you know, the folks that we have here are just as much warfighters, uh, you know, a, a, as anybody else, because they're doing quite a bit to keep this aircraft, you know, safe, 
affordable and effective to make sure it stays in the inventory. And not only is it something that we utilize, but it's something the Air Force wants to use and the Air Force wants to invest in. Really a piece of American history. Um, Sir, as we're wrapping up this interview, is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, it's it's just an awesome experience. To be part of something that's been flying, you know, as you said, Paul, 70 of the 75 years that the Air Force has been in existence, there's been a B-52 flying in the air. Uh, and again, we didn't get to talk too much about the, the, the people that are involved in it, but uh, it really takes, you know, we've all heard the adage, it takes a village to, uh, to raise a child, right? So when you look at the stakeholders that are involved uh, in the B-52, and not just the, the modernization, but the sustainment, and we have LCMC that leads the modernization effort, uh, you really have AFSC that does the majority of the sustainment work you know, when it comes to, you know, obviously the depot, you you know, we have the supply chain management wing, uh, not part of AFSC, but the Defense Logistics Agency, DLA, is, is a big stakeholder for us. Then obviously Global Strike Command and 8th Air Force uh, from the operational side. And then all of our industry partners. Uh, it, it's an amazing opportunity and an amazing experience. So, uh, and we talked a lot about a bit of the big things and there's quite a bit of small things that we're doing as well that are really, really important. You know, a couple months ago, we just finished fielding curtains, uh, privacy curtains for the crew members. And that was to make sure that uh, we had a privacy curtain for the bathroom for our female crew members. Not a, not an expensive effort, taking a sheet, putting it out there. But I'll tell you what, it's, you know, it was really important for us to try to get that done, you know, as effectively and efficiently as possible and really important for those female crew members that you know didn't have that privacy uh, in certain in certain times. You're on board that aircraft for a long time. The little things make a difference. Absolutely, we've got there's missions there that go you know uh, close to 24 hours, actually more than that. Uh, and you know we have to do double up the crew size and things like that. So uh, a- absolutely, um, small th- wireless headsets, things that we would think is pretty easy, but when you look at you know complications of making sure we have we meet the cybersecurity requirements uh, making sure we don't you know short out uh, in any of the items within the jet when we plug something in to something like a USB port uh, th- those are all the things that these you know the little things that the engineers do uh, working with the maintainers we have a really good relationship uh, with the second and fifth bomb wings uh, both on the ops and the maintenance side so we can have direct calls if somebody needs something, you know, we can get our engineers. Uh, sometimes it's a priority and we have to prioritize, but it, it's definitely all important to us. Uh, so whether it's something like, you know, making a or uh, purchasing a bag that's fireproof that we can safely put cell phones in during uh, during operations so we don't have to worry about lithium batteries exploding or catching fire to something as big as the commercial engine replacement program. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity, an amazing organization that really works this effort. All right. Well, thank you for your time today, sir. I have learned a lot. What about you, Paul? Me as well. And it's been wonderful celebrating the 70th anniversary of the B-52. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a great opportunity. Thanks. For more information on Tinker Air Force Base, follow us on social media at Tinker Air Force Base on Facebook and Instagram and at team underscore tinker on Twitter or visit our website at tinker.af.net.